You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Uh, as we're kind of getting situated, I- I'm willing to bet y'all didn't know A-Flow got down like that, being able to sing and play the guitar and the drums at the same time. I mean, that, that's a certain level of skill that most of us don't have. I told him next week what we'll probably wind up doing is just give him a harmonica and see what happens, you know, see how how it goes down. It is really, really good to see you guys this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us, my name is Michael Bailey. I am one of the pastors here at Midtown Fellowship. I want to wish you a, uh, a happy Serve the City weekend. Woo! Anybody serve? Yeah? Great, great, great. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, Serve the City Weekend is actually a pretty big deal for us. Uh, it's a pretty big weekend around here for our family of churches. Every year, what we do is we take uh, Martin Luther King Weekend and basically flood our community with the love of Jesus. And it's, it's not the only time that we do that in the life of our church, obviously, but it is one weekend where all three of our churches come together and do it in a highly concentrated way. Um, and basically, here's the gist with Serve City Weekend. From, from the very very beginning of our churches, when we planted our first church in downtown Columbia many, many years ago, uh, we did so wanting to be a church that existed for the benefit of our community, that was good for our area. Early on, we read a book that we can't even remember the title of now, if we're just being honest, uh, and which probably says a lot about how good the book actually was. But there was one question kind of posed in the book that really resonated with us. Uh, the author said, if your church vanished... Would anyone know? Would anyone care? Like if your church was here today and gone tomorrow, would you even be missed by the people in your city? And, and that really, really kind of got to us. It stuck out and really resonated with us when we were getting things going. And so from the onset, our goal really has been to be a church that is for the good of those around us, that makes our area better day by day. And specifically, we wanted to be known as a church that cared uh, for the vulnerable and the marginalized because we believe these are the things that Jesus himself cares about. And so early on, we did all kinds of things as a young church. Some of you who were around in the early days, you may remember some of these things. So back when Extreme Home Makeover was a thing, we actually did a big event for the women's shelter in downtown where we made over one of the housing units for the women's shelter, uh, basically doubling their capacity. We went in, we renovated, we remodeled, we did the whole nine yards. We got the big old bus out there and did the whole move that bus thing. It was a lot of fun, a little cheesy, but totally fun. Uh, and it was, but genuinely, it was great. And even that housing complex today at the women's shelter is known as the Midtown House because of the work that we did. Uh, some of you may be familiar that for years we did an event called Homeless for the Homeless, where essentially we became homeless for a night to raise awareness of the homeless situation in our community because there's a very large one here. Uh, and so it was just kind of our way of saying, hey, we need, we need to bring the love of Jesus into this area of our society. And so we were basically all I'll just camp out one night of the week in the heart of downtown to bring awareness to this issue. And not by plan, but by the sovereign hand of God, it was always the coldest night of the year. So 
We were getting what we asked for, right? Uh, and listen, all of those things were incredibly fun. Like, we, we loved doing those things. They were fun, and they were good for what they were. But throughout the years, our churches sort of began to sense that the best way that we could serve our city was to actually move beyond just these one-time events that we would do and instead focus our attention on developing year-round, ongoing relationships with strategic partners in our community, partners who were doing the work of God on the ground level that we could come alongside in the Columbia and Lexington area. And so about four years ago, we picked six to seven of these organizations to partner with. Uh, you've probably heard of some of them, but if you're unfamiliar, they're Epworth Children's Home, uh, Ezekiel Ministries, which is a mentoring program, uh, an after-school mentoring program for at-risk youth, uh, Homeworks for America, which serves the elderly and the poor and the invalid who can't keep up their homes. They kind of step in and do repair and remodel work that they need. Department of Social Services is a big one for us here in Lexington, coming alongside those in foster and adoptive care. Uh, Prisma Health Children's Hospital, Daybreak Crisis Pregnancy Center, and Transitions Homeless Center are kind of round out who our partners are. And honestly, in year four of, uh, of our Serve the City uh, strategy, what we're finding is, is that this strategy has been incredibly, incredibly fruitful for what we are aiming to do. Uh, if you missed the rally this weekend, I wanted to share with you just some of the stories that we've seen in this past year alone come from our partners. So with Epworth, uh, it's been kind of incredible, to be honest with you. Like, you know, we started just kind of going in and wanting to love and serve the, the kids uh, who were there. And we've actually gotten to the point this year where now every single cottage on Epworth's property actually comes to our downtown student ministry, which is amazing uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we're the first non-Methodist church they've ever even allowed students to participate with. And they're not only just allowing their students to come and be with us, but they're actually busing each and every one of them in every week to be around people who are going to love them and tell them about Jesus. Absolutely incredible. Like, absolutely incredible. Uh, with our transitions partnership, uh, we recently, this past year, started a trans transitions life group. So some of our members were just like, hey, we've been serving with transitions. We want to get these folks connected to church family, and they started a life group for folks who are in that program. Uh, and it's been incredible for a couple of reasons, but for us, a big one is like, as you know, life groups are where the rubber meets the road for us when it comes to who we are as a church. And so what this means is now we are getting folks who are in a homeless situation actually connected to church family to get to follow God and learn who Jesus is and come to faith in him by being connected with the rest of us. It's an absolutely beautiful thing just recently. So there's, there's one guy uh, we call him Mr. Cornell. Uh, he's a 60-something homeless man who has just been completely bought in to the life group, just there all the time, really eager to learn and grow. And the life group actually got to celebrate his birthday this past week. Uh, and they had a big old party for him at their group time, which was incredible. Brought out the cake, had the candles lit. Uh, and as he blew out his candles, uh, he made this wish. And these are his words, not mine. This is the wish that he made. His wish was to have many more birthdays with our church family and to continue how, to, excuse me, to continue to learn how to faithfully follow God together. I mean, shut the front door, right? Like, come on. Like, that is just good, good stuff. Uh, also, over this past year with our DSS partnership, uh, we've seen somewhere between 300 and 320 foster parents receive training that they would not get otherwise, which, just to be fair, this really can't be undersold because I, I don't know how familiar you are with the system, but a lot of times what happens for foster parents is because the need is so great and the needs are so demanding, they just kind of get sent out here. They just kind of baptized by fire, like, get out here and let 
let's go with little to no backup. And so it's just been incredible for us to get to come alongside DSS and some other folks working with them just to provide opportunities for our foster parents to keep getting better and better and have the training and resources that they need to love and serve these kids well. Uh, We're talking system-wide change, which is just an absolutely incredible thing to be a part of. And honestly, I could go on and on and on. Uh, We talk about the Children's Hospital and how we've now been invited to partner with them with their Ronald McDonald House, providing care for parents who have children with long-term illnesses who are staying by the hospital to how they've invited us to be their staff for Camp Chemo and other such things, working for kids with cancer uh, to love and serve them well. But here's the deal. Uh, I preached for 50 minutes last week, and I'm not going to do that to you again. So I'm not going to just go on with the laundry list, all right? Uh, But suffice it to say, all right, suffice it to say that I, I would submit that if we no longer existed as a family of churches, we would in fact be missed by these organizations. We have made real impact and a difference for each organization and the clients that they serve. And so personally, I think that Serve the City is one of the best and most beautiful things we do as a church. And I just want to extend a thank you to you for all of you who served this weekend specifically, giving up your time and your energy to love and serve these folks. You are making an impact and your energy and your sacrifice, it absolutely matters for what God is doing in our city. But all of this is not ultimately the reason why we do serve the city. The ultimate reason why we do it isn't just because we want our city to miss us if we're gone. We don't do it so that we can just kind of say to one another and the rest of the world, look how great we are. Look at how all the cool things we do. No, ultimately, we do all of these things because of Jesus. This is why we do it. Because Jesus cares about the oppressed. He cares about the marginalized and the hurting and loving and serving the physically and spiritually needy, which is all of us, by the way, are the very things that Jesus himself came to do. And so like we said last week, our aim as followers of Jesus is threefold. As a people, we are trying to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and be a people who do the things that Jesus did. And so serve the city for us is really an avenue by which we pursue these things. We, it's another tool in our tool belt, so to speak, to become a people who do what Jesus does. And we believe that waking up early on a Saturday morning to sacrifice our time to watch kids for a foster training or redo the plumbing in a house with homeworks or throw parties for children who are at the children's hospital, that over time, what these things do is they shape us, they shape you into a certain type of person. A person who, like Jesus, loves and serves in every sphere of life. Not just at our Serve the City events, but everywhere. Because here's the truth. The work of the kingdom isn't just limited to our Serve the City partners. The work of the kingdom is at your job and in your neighborhood and with your family. In every space that you inhabit as a follower of Jesus, you are meant to be an agent of his kingdom coming. And that's what I want to talk with us about this morning, all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at one passage of Scripture together just to show you this idea. And then I just want to give you some pastoral help on how we grow and become this together. So let's look over at Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 35 through 38 together this morning. This is what it reads. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are some located underneath your seats. Please feel free to grab one of those or flip open to your phone, uh, whatever it may be. But here we go. We'll get down into verse 35. This is what it reads. 
And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So Jesus is out doing the work of the kingdom. This is where we pick up. He's out doing the work of the kingdom, preaching the gospel and bringing hope and healing to people who need it. And his disciples are with him. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray, to, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus looks out at all the people who are coming to him, and he is overcome with compassion and concern for them. He sees their need for them. He sees their need for the gospel, for, their, for grace, for their sin, for hope, for their future, for healing and redemption. And he's just moved for them. His heart breaks for them. He wants good for them. And so he leans into his disciples and he says, look, look, the harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. There are so many out there who not only need the kingdom, but they are ready for it. They are ready for the work that God wants to do in them. Pray then that God would send out more workers into the harvest, more people to be about his work here and now ushering in the kingdom of God. That word send in English, it actually comes from the same root word where we get the word mission and every derivative off of it, words like missionary. And essentially what it means to be a missionary is simply being someone who is sent by God into the kingdom work of Jesus. That's all being a missionary really means. And this specific word that Jesus uses here in the Greek for sin, it actually carries the connotation, excuse me, the connotation of force. So it's a little like how you would heave a basketball if you were trying to make a half-court shot, right? Like you're putting a lot of force and energy behind it. And so essentially what Jesus is saying here is ask God to heave workers, lots and lots of workers out into the field because there is so much work ready to be done. There are so many people ready to come into his kingdom. Pray that God would heave out workers into the midst of this. And the very next thing that Jesus does is he appoints 12 of his disciples, the 12 apostles, which literally means the sent ones, to go out and start doing what he has been doing. He sends them out to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom to heal and bring freedom. And I love what he tells them in verse 8 of chapter 10, if you want to skip down just a little bit. He says, you received without paying, so give without pay. I think it's beautiful. He reminds them of the grace that they've received. He says, you've been following me around now for however long. You've been freely experiencing and receiving the love and grace of the Father through me. You've been upfront and center for all I do and all I provide. So now go and share what you've been given. Go and share with others what I have extended to you. And he sends them out to do what he does, to carry on the work of his kingdom, preaching the gospel, bringing hope and healing to the world. And this is actually the pattern that we see throughout Jesus's ministry, sending his disciples out. And it ultimately concludes over in Matthew 28. You're probably familiar with this passage. It's often called the Great Commission. And this is what he says right before he ascends into heaven, his parting words to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. His parting words, his last final order, direction, instruction to his disciples are sending words. 
He sends them out to keep carrying on the work that he did, and he promises to be with them by the Spirit through it all. And here's the thing. This is Jesus' aim for you too. This is his instruction and direction for you as well. A key aspect to following Jesus is carrying on the work that Jesus did. The way we say it around here most often is simply that every Christian is actually a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is sent by God to join God in what he is doing in the world. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are one of the ones that Jesus told his disciples to ask God to heave out into the world. You are one of the ones that Jesus specifically was praying for that would be about his kingdom work. And so ultimately, ultimately, when I talk about becoming a people who do what Jesus did, this is what I mean. What we mean is becoming a sent people or a missionary people or a serve the city people or whatever description resonates with you the most. That's what we're actually talking about. A people who carry on his work. A people who when we have the opportunity to help others understand the things of God, to get to share with them the grace and the mercy and the hope of Jesus, we take it. When we see our neighbor or our coworker or student or whomever in need, we are the ones who step in to care for them. A people who don't see the problem of others as someone else's responsibility, but an opportunity for us to love as Jesus loved and extend that to other people. A people who help others see Jesus, help others know Jesus, and ultimately help others trust in him as we have. Now, if you've been around here for any amount of time, like any amount of time at all, None of that probably sounds all that new to you, right? Like, we, we talk about this pretty consistently. Uh, so honestly, I think I could just kind of stop here and say, all right, all right, we're missionaries, God is with us, let's go, let's get it, let's be about what Jesus is about, let's do the things that Jesus did, sermon over, let's pray and be done, all right? A couple of things with that. One, that would be a 15-minute sermon, and I don't think I'm physically capable of doing that, all right? <laughs> Two, I don't think that would be all that helpful. Like, I don't think just telling us, hey, God has sent us is the most helpful thing for us to know. And so here's, here's what I want to do with the bulk of our time, all right? With the bulk of our time, I just want to take a few minutes and just have the opportunity to be your pastor a little bit, okay? To just kind of love you and guide you a little bit. I want to give us four things, or four encouragements, rather, to help us walk in this. To help us actually embrace what it might mean for us on the ground level to be ascent people, to be missionaries where we are. So, four things I have for you. We're going to start with the first one, which is a good place to start. Uh, the first one is look for the small. Look for the small. In Matthew 13, I want you to listen to how Jesus teaches that the kingdom will work. This is Matthew 13, verses 31 through 32. This is what he says. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nests and its branches. He says the kingdom, it starts small, but it grows huge. It starts small, unassuming, even ordinary, and blossoms into something absolutely incredible. And here's why I bring this up. You know, it's really easy to think that becoming the type of people who do the things that Jesus did 
that it must always constitute something large, some large and seemingly significant action, that it's got to be this big thing that we go do. It's why when most of us think about the word missionaries, we think about people, we don't think about ourselves, but rather we think about people who sell everything and then go move to a foreign country, right? And listen, that, that's not necessarily wrong, or there's not really anything wrong with thinking about that in that way. But what happens is, is we tend to take the idea of mission and make it so grand and so complex that we kind of get to a place where only a few people can actually do it, and the rest of us are just left to stall out. We, the rest of us just don't know how, how to go or where to go. And so when I say, look for the small, what I mean is, do not underestimate the power of simply and faithfully following Jesus in everyday ordinary life. Do not underestimate that power because those are the spaces that God, in fact, does some of his finest work. Some of the ways we've talked about it before around here is that the seemingly ordinary is not insignificant. The stuff we find to be ordinary is not all that insignificant. Uh, Tim Chester is a British author of a book called A Meal with Jesus. And in this book, he actually looks at two instances where the work of Jesus is discussed in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 19.10, which says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Luke 7.34, that says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And he does this really, really neat thing where he connects these two ideas. He, he, uh, he kind of draws a profound connection between these two things. Uh, the one, uh, that, one, excuse me, that one of the ways that Jesus seeks and saves the lost is by eating and drinking with them. That these two things are actually inherently connected to one another. One New Testament author says that in Luke's biography especially, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. That's virtually where all of the action of Jesus' ministry takes place, is over a table. I mean, essentially, here was Jesus' strategy for mission. He would walk into a town and he'd be like, Hey, hey you! Yeah, yeah, you, Zach, short guy in the tree, you, what are you doing for dinner? Oh, nothing? Well, that's great. Well, hey, let's do it together. How's that sound to you? Hey, but here's the deal. Let's not do it at my place. Let's do it at yours because I'm homeless. All right, you good? Sweet. We'll go to, we'll go to your joint. Invite your friends. You bring the water. I'll take care of the wine, and we'll sit, and we'll chat. It'll be a great time. And listen, that's only a slightly hyperbolic reading of, retelling of that story, okay? Like, it's only slightly hyperbolic. This is what Jesus did. And if you're, if you're familiar, you know that that meal changed the course of Zacchaeus' life. And the point is, is that for Jesus, this wasn't rocket science. This wasn't rocket science. For Jesus, seeking and saving the lost was tied to something as common and as ordinary as a dinner table. And so how do we become the people who do what Jesus does? Again, not rocket science, not rocket science, but by simply embracing the small, ordinary, but potentially meaningful opportunities we have to love those around us. It's the extra two minutes you could spend outside chatting with your neighbor that might, might lead to something like, hey man, what are you doing on Thursday about six? I make a mean chili. You want to come over? Let's hang. It's the, hey coworker, what are you doing for lunch? I'm going to go with you today. Spend some time together, hear what's going on in your life, or being the one to give them a lift to the office when their car breaks down. It's turning the radio down on the way to or from school and having heartfelt, a heartfelt conversation about things that actually matter with your kids and maybe even their friends if you rock that carpool life. It's taking a few extra minutes to really listen and care for your clients or your patients or your students or whomever it is that your job serves not just trying to get them in and get them out for the sake of the bottom line, but to care for them as fellow human beings. 
It's, I know so-and-so is going through a hard time, so you know what? Instead of watching The Office for the billionth time tonight, I'm instead going to give them a call. Or I'm going to make them a meal and swing it by their house real quick and maybe chat with them and pray with them for just a little bit. It's simple, small, but absolutely significant. These are the spaces in which God often does some of his, mo- some of his largest kingdom work. He takes those small things and bloss- blossoms them into something enormous. But that leads me to the next one that we're going to need to <coughs> grapple with. And it's this. We need to learn to embrace the interruption. If we're going to be a missionary people, we must learn to embrace the interruption. Here's the thing. Your neighbor is never going to say to you, hey, tomorrow at 9.30, I'm going to have a really significant life event that I'm going to need you to be there for. Okay? Thanks. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's not how life works. The opportunities to care for the needs of others, to share the hope of Jesus with a hurting friend or whatever, those aren't things that you pencil into your calendar, all right? Like, okay, 8 a.m., I'm going to go preach the gospel, 10.30, feed the hungry, and then noon, I'm going to bear my neighbor's burdens, and that's my Monday, right? Like, that's not how it's going to be. That's just not a thing. And what I am learning is that love actually happens in the interruption, that love actually happens in the interruption. In my experience, at least, becoming a person who does what Jesus did almost always happens as an interruption to the rest of my life. An interruption to my plans, to my schedule, an interruption to my comfort or my desires. Rarely, if ever, in my life has becoming a person of love like Jesus not required me to sacrifice or, at the very least, be a little bit uncomfortable. Rarely ever. And when we look at the life of Jesus, I mean, here's what we see. We see that Jesus had this uncanny ability to just see people, to just see them for who they were and what they had going on. I mean, this is what Matthew 9 says, that he saw the crowds, that he just saw them, and he was moved with compassion. In the midst of other things going on, in the midst of his busy ministry schedule, whatever he was doing, he had this ability to see people and to care about them and engage, no matter how it might have interrupted his former plans. I think about the woman in Luke 8 who had been bleeding for years, who just touches the, clo- just touches the cloak that Jesus wore in the middle of a crowd, and Jesus just stops everything he is doing and devotes all of his attention to her. I think about the interruption of Jairus and, or Jairus and the centurion who come to Jesus while he's headed elsewhere and ask him to heal someone in their family. And Jesus just stops. He just stops what he's doing, and he does it. He doesn't say, man, look, I would, but I've got this thing. Maybe we can set up that healing for Tuesday or next week sometime. I'll get to it, I promise. He doesn't go, dude, look, I'm God, and my time is more valuable than being interrupted by what you have going on. No, he simply stops and embraces the perceived interruption. And I'll be honest with you. This is something that has been incredibly convicting for me personally, just to just to bear myself to you for a little bit. What I'm realizing is, is that if perchance God wanted anything to happen in my neighbor's, neighbor's life, I would actually miss it. I would actually miss it because I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking for it. If he wanted me to lovingly serve someone or to share the gospel with someone or whatever, a lot of the time I would simply miss it because if I'm honest, most days what I do is I just run on autopilot. 
Most of my days are on autopilot. After work, it's just into the driveway, into the house, get the kids fed and in bed, and then onto the couch for Netflix or curling up with a book, right? And look, it's not that those things are bad or even unnecessary all of the time. However, for me, it becomes my routine to where it's not just one or two nights of the week that I'm doing it, but three or four or five. And what I need to remember is that, what I need to remember is what Jesus essentially says to his disciples, look, Look, Michael, look. The harvest is plentiful. There are people all around you who are ready and waiting on the kingdom. Look. And so for me, I'm starting to pray this simple prayer in the mornings. I just call it my eyes up prayer. It's where I simply wake up in the morning and I say, God, help me to have my eyes up today to see what you're doing, to see where you're at work around me. And God, give me the will to actually join in with that. Help me to see where your kingdom is breaking in. Man, and for what it's worth, that might be a prayer that you need to pray to. I can't imagine that I am the only one in this room who runs on autopilot throughout the week, for what it's worth. And so maybe that's a prayer that we all need to be praying, because the truth is, is that God is, in fact, up to stuff all around you. He is working in people when you don't even realize it in every sphere of life that you inhabit, whether that be work or school or your neighborhood or the soccer field, all of it, God is up to something, which is number three. We need to learn to take advantage of our season of life. Take advantage of your season of life. Does anybody remember WWJD? You laugh or you groan, and we get some of that honest. But despite the fact that we decided to put those four letters on like every bit of jewelry imaginable, I'm gonna put this out here for you. It was kind of great, all right? Like, WWJD was actually kind of great. Honestly, if I could get all of us asking that question alone, I would consider it a big win for our church. But here's the thing about WWJD it's also a little bit misleading, okay? Here's what I mean Jesus was a first century male. Jewish itinerant rabbi. And I'm just guessing that you're not that, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that describes the majority of us who are in the room, right? And so as far as I know, that's not us. And so that makes becoming a people who do what Jesus did a little bit more complicated, right? So for example, if you're praying about where you should live, for instance, should we build? Should we buy? Should we live on land? Or should we live in a neighborhood? You're praying about it and you're asking the spirit, what would Jesus do? You're probably not going to find that to be very helpful, because here's the, here's the deal. Jesus would probably camp and couch surf, with his, uh, couch surf with his rich friends a lot, right? And we know that because that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. And so, look, the heart behind what would Jesus do is great. But I would submit that an even better question is, would be, what would Jesus do if he were you? What would Jesus do if he were you with your gender? What would Jesus do if he were your gender? What would Jesus do if he was your age? with your job or your ethnicity, with your background? What would Jesus do if he lived where you live and had the money that you have? How would he approach these things? Being a disciple is doing the things that he did in your context, and that begins to beg a ton of questions for us, if we're honest. How would Jesus approach your job? What would his attitude and agenda be at your place of work? 
Who in your life would Jesus pray for and about what? And how would Jesus follow up with that person? How would Jesus interact with your phone or your Facebook? Or how would he handle the gram, whatever it may be? What and how many extracurriculars would Jesus encourage and devote his time to if he parented your kids? How would he approach them? What people or needs would Jesus intentionally seek out if he were you with your gifts and your passions and your resources? And that takes a little bit more work, right? That actually takes some creativity and community to figure out and process through. But it's more true to the work that Jesus actually wants to do in and through each of us. Because the truth is, is that God has gifted each of you in unique ways. He has given you unique jobs and responsibilities. He's put each of you in different and unique seasons of life to do work that he uniquely intends to do through you in your context. And so when it comes to being agents of his kingdom in our community, when it comes to being the type of people who do what Jesus did, we have to consider these things. These are the things, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. So, for example, I know that a lot of us in here are moms and dads of anywhere from between one and four children, right? Now, that's just where we're at. You're in a spot where you are up to your eyeballs in responsibility and chaos management and diapers and school and dance and sports, and the list goes on and on and on. That's your season. Now, it's not going to be forever for you, that is what your right now is. But here's what this means. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything. It means that you take advantage of where God has you right now. That you do the things that Jesus would do if he were someone with a packed minivan. That's what it means. So maybe it means you spend time with your, with, excuse me, spend time teaching your little captive audience since you've got all of their attention right now about Jesus and you teach them how to care about what's going on in their friends' lives. That you, maybe it means you build relationships with other parents with young kids and invite them over and you just look at this as like, these are the people that I can build with and invest in right now. Maybe you let your house be the neighborhood house, the, where, the one where kids and parents can come and play and know they're going to be safe. Maybe you don't look at the trip to the soccer field as just an event to go watch your kid play a sport he's never going to go pro in, but instead an opportunity for God's kingdom to break through with the people you meet there. Maybe you invite single people into your home to, one, let them know that they are a part of the family of Jesus, and so they are a part of your family and model for your kids what it means to be the church. And two, maybe you get them to feel a little bit sorry for you and help out, right? <laughs> Look, take advantage of where God has you. He has you there in that season of life, in that space for a purpose. And I'll add this nugget here. The hard part about leading a church and preaching to all of us, especially in this regard, is that we're not all in the same place. Like, that's just the reality of it. We're not all in the same season. We're not all operating with the same capacity. At all times, we are in different spaces needing different things. And so I know there are some of us in here who need a completely loving but a completely swift kick in the pants to get off Netflix and get out there and contribute to the kingdom of God. But at the same time, I know that there are others of us who need to be told, yo, you need to slow down. You need to let the Holy Spirit do some work in your soul because your life is a wreck right now. And if you keep going without taking some time to get some healing in these areas, you're going to run yourself ragged and potentially burn out. Look, 
Some of you think you're too busy to do anything, and I just need you to know that that is simply not true. Having kids or working a demanding job is not a valid excuse to not do the things that Jesus did. It's just a special circumstance that you have to consider for what that can actually look like in your life. And for some of you, you're going at breakneck speed right now, and the rest of your life is in shambles, and you need to remember that you are invited to participate in God's work, but you are not invited to act like all of it depends on you. But that actually leads me to our fourth and final thing for this morning. And it's real simple. It's that you are not alone. You are not alone. A guy in my life group this week, uh, when we were talking about this, he said, you know, this whole doing what Jesus did thing is a really intimidating idea for me because it's like Jesus is LeBron and I'm a 5'9 white guy who can't jump. <laughs> don't, don't really know what to do with that. And to be honest, I appreciated that so much. Like I, like, I loved it because it's true. But the difference according to the scriptures is that LeBron does not live inside of you, but Jesus does. That's the difference. LeBron doesn't live in you. The spirit of Jesus does. And because that is true, that actually changes everything for you. Go back to Matthew 28, what Jesus says. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always unto the end of the age. The beautiful part about being a missionary people, about being a people sent out by God, is that we are not sent out alone. Jesus himself is with us. Jesus is with you. Through the Spirit, he is with you. He is the one at work around you, doing things that you can't even see in the lives of your friends or your neighbors or your co-workers and your kids. And he is the one empowering every small action we undertake to share his love, to actually make it fruitful. At the end of the day, the, what, what we are looking for are spiritual results. And so we need the Spirit to do it. He's the one who does the heavy lifting. We just step in and be faithful. No matter how fumbling or insufficient we might believe it to be, if his spirit is in it, he is going to accomplish what he intends to accomplish through it. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that forever, for however ill-equipped or nervous or awkward you might feel about any of this from reaching out to your coworker or sharing your faith or hope and your hope with your friend or even taking the 10 small steps across your yard to meet your neighbor. For however overwhelmed or impossible you feel that all of this is due to your job or your family or whatever your circumstance might be, the good news for you is that God is with you. This is exactly the life that Jesus came to give us through, his, through the cross and resurrection, that now we would have life with God, where God is with us always, and he is working through us always. That his spirit indwells and empowers everything that we do for his kingdom. And if God is with you, then hear me, that is all you need. That is all you need. You might not know what to do. You might not know what to say. You might second guess everything that you do. But at the end of the day, you can have confidence because the Spirit is the one who is doing the work for you. All you have to do is step up to the plate and swing. And if the Spirit is with us, then that means all of us can join in. 
regardless of your season, all of us can look for the small things. All of us can do things like sitting around a table with someone far from God. All of us can slow down and open our eyes to see where the kingdom is breaking through like weeds up through the pavement. And all of us through his grace and the power of of his spirit can see what God is up to and actually join in. And that is my prayer for us that we would be a people who are ongoingly a quote-unquote serve-the-city people in every phase of life. The only real question for any of us is will we join him? Will we actually step into it and join him? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you. Um, We thank you for who you are. God, that you are a God who is with us, and that is so much of the good news of the gospel that we proclaim, that we are not a people who have been left to do life on our own, that we are not a people who have been left uh, to join in your mission alone, but that your spirit is with us every step of the way. And so God, as we, as we wanna grow and become a, a missionary people, a people who do the things that you did, God, I pray that you, your spirit would just help us to see, just help us to have eyes up and see where you're at work around us. Who are the people you have put in our life who need you? Maybe, maybe they're hurting. Uh, maybe they're just wandering and chasing things that are just gonna be unfruitful and unsatisfying. Maybe they have like real tangible needs that need to be met, God. What, who are those people in our lives? I know for us, it's, I mean, there's so many different people in so many different spheres, but just pray that your spirit would bring them to the forefront of our minds and to help us see, God, how you might be inviting us and want us to step in and love and serve there. God, I pray that you would remind our souls that we love because you loved us first. That we are becoming a people of love because we are a people who have been loved. And your cross and your resurrection are the proof of that. That you loved us to give yourself for us. And God, I pray that you would lead us to be a people who give ourselves for others because of what we have received. So thank you once again for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I'm excited for the people you are creating us to be. I'm excited for the fruit that we've already seen in the lives of these folks and just pray that you would continue to birth that in us. Help us to embrace it. We need you. And it's your name we pray.